welcome to episode 659 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 659 of Iron Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. You? Well, you know, on top of the world. Top of the, did you see the sky this morning? I was out there in the sky. I was out, did an early morning bike ride this morning. What did you do? But just went along the top of the hills, but breezy out there. Kind of, kind of light to mid-range winds. Pretty gusty though. Get blown across the road a couple of times. Did you okay. go as far as like the gondola? Yeah, I did. I did. Do you get that coming down? Of that, 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 that bend's probably, that drop's probably the worst one, isn't it? It is. So that, along the top of the hills in Christchurch, we've got, it's all flat lands and then you've just got one series of hills and along the top, it's not like Kona, but you have cutouts like in Kona and you come across these little ridge lines and when it's windy, you've got to hold on pretty bloody tight. You've got to lean into it a little bit, don't you? You do. Lean into it. Okay, in this week's show, we've got some... Oh, I'm talking proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance. Our lactic buffer. And our patrons. And his name is John. Phil, the rich Uncle Scott. Nice, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> Only I find that one funny, but <laughs> yeah, I love I'm it. I'm not laughing. Uh, Grant, the Scalinator, a Baxter. Did I told you rich Uncle S- Phil won lotto? Yep, you've told us okay. several times. Okay, there you go. Uh, that's Skeletor. Skeletor. Should be Skeletor off uh, Ca- uh, Castle Grayskull. Yeah, Ca- Masters of the Universe. Yep, yep. He-Man. Um, and Ben, Mr. E. Walton. There we go. Um, and this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. Actually, we're quite disappointed. I'm very disappointed. Very disappointed, team. We're disappointed in you. Uh, we've got an age group of the week. We've got age groupers of the week. We've got a, a short history lesson. And then we've got an interview with uh, Dr. Sven Henson on resilience, uh, which is one I put on my podcast a few weeks ago. But John's got a busy week, so we're putting that in. And then winger of the week, questions and answers at the end, Jumbo. Just going into news, we had a couple of 70.3s happen over the weekend. We did. We had, uh, I, whenever I see this vice name now, I always start to just double check it after getting yep. it wrong. I got so chastised after that towering mistake that I made with uh, Hannah Wells winning that when I thought she got third. But this time it was Bradley Weiss uh, taking it out in Taiwan 70.3 in front of Cyril Verneau and Luke McKenzie. Luke McKenzie's still going all right for uh, you know someone who's towards the twilight of his career. Still ran a 116.21, which is not too shabby. And on the female side, we had Sarah Crowley uh, fairly comfortably taking it out over Grace Thick and Else Visser. How would you how would you rate Luke McKenzie's career? Uh, up and, up and down. Now? <laughs> up and down, definitely had some had some great races, but he's had a, he's either usually either on or off. Yeah, he, he really was. Was it? consistency wouldn't be a word you'd say in performances, hmm. but had some stellar performances, didn't he? And you know, because he's an aggressive swim biker, uh, he's always going to get a lot more media coverage. So you know, um, there's probably loads of other people who have got somewhat similar results, but we don't mention them that often because they're not on the TV screen as much. And I kind of feel the same a bit, a bit, little bit about Mario Mola. For people who watch the ITU, you know, he's won so many races since uh, and, and won the the overall series since the last Olympics. Yet he doesn't. 
he just for me he doesn't feel he's in the same caliber as some of the great athletes that are always in the front pack um, mm. because they're always towards the front whereas he just mows everybody down on the run so I think for Mario Mola who's an ITU athlete to really be regarded as uh, a great you know it's going to be interesting to see if he can also do well over different distances uh, and some draft legal Anyway, that was 170.3. I managed to well, pad no, that out a no, bit. No, 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 because well, the highlight of McKenzie's career is definitely the second place in Kona when he got in 2013, wasn't it? Yep, absolutely. But he's also done some extremely good Ironmans. You know, Western Australia's had some great performances. Yeah, he's gone to 7.55 in Western Australia in 2015. Yeah, but uh, often, you know, if we, Torsten, give us a stat on Luke McKenzie, his hit ratio in terms of there's been so many races where he's completely detonated. Mm. Uh, so, but still... He's done some really good performances. Yeah, he's definitely been around for a long time too, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so we also had another seven point. Oh, who was the females? And I've done the females, okay. Sarah Crowley. Uh, we also went off to the Philippines for the Davio 70.3. Pretty decent field there. Um, on the female side, you had a really good battle between Radka Carterfelt and Caroline Steffen, um, with Radka Carterfelt taking it out on the run. And Kareli Siddle... Seidel from Australia in third place, uh, about 10 minutes back. On the boys' side, you had uh, Tim Van Berkel in third, Craig Alexander with the fastest run split of the day with a 117.14. In, in those conditions, that's not shabby. Uh, but Marcus Roll from Germany put seven minutes into everybody on the bike, plus he was uh, looks like he was either first or, or right up the front out of the swim and only needed to run a 122 to still win by... About three minutes or so. Well, pretty impressive stuff. So there's big news that's Oh, hold on. I've got a couple of other things. I just want to mention Caroline Steffen there because that was a pretty good performance. And it's going to be really interesting to see what sort of um, form she can bring to, to long course this year because she has already qualified for Kona, courtesy of the, the new system. She won Ironman Australia last year, uh, Western Australia, in um, December, crushing it with a 8.49.45. Do you think she can be a player? Well, I don't think anybody can be a player against Daniela <laughs> Reith. Uh, and Lucy Charles is almost another rung above everybody else. But in terms of all the others, um, yeah, I think she can be competitive. But it's been a long time since she's been in Kona. Uh, you know, it's been, she's obviously had a baby, but also the last few years she was sort of more focusing on the 70.3 distance rather than. And she never really cracked course. Kona, did she? Like, Kona was always, you know, like there's a few oh, she, years where she was going into it. Yeah, kind of favourite. She got a podium one year. Uh, I'm sure she got on the podium one year. Yeah, maybe. But but there was a period where going into the probably two or three year period in her career where yep. going into Kona she was the favourite. Mm-hmm. You know, and outside of Kona she was pretty dominant. And she, then she got ninth in 2015. Uh, 2014 she got four, fifth. Uh, let me just see. The year before she got fifth. I'm sure she got on the podium one year. She was very close to it anyway. She'd always kind of oh, there you go. Ironman World Championships 2012. She was second, 9.16. Okay. So that, that was the one, yeah. So that was the one time she really got it. But generally speaking, it wasn't her. She never, you know, other than that. <sighs> she was only a minute off that year as well. Who was it? Was that, no, that was Leander ran? Cave. And oh. Caroline Stephen didn't have a great run. She ran a 3.08. Oh. So, yeah, no, you put her kind of in the same bracket almost as Rachel Joyce in terms of. Just needed a bit of luck, and there was always that bloody one person. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'd actually say she was probably a little bit above Rachel. You know, there was a period there where she would have gone I into the race. I didn't say that, Joycey. That was yeah, Bevan saying she, that. No, well, no. I just think there was 
Rachel Joyce, something to go wrong for somebody else. Yeah, I'd, I'd almost say the same with Caroline Stephan. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I think there was a moment where we would have said that Caroline was the favourite. Mm. But but obviously she didn't get there. Mm. Interesting. So yeah, we're interesting to see if she can pull it together on the day. Okay, so also the other big news that's coming up is that there's going to be a triathlon ITU festival happening in Townsville in Australia. This is the World Long Course Championships. Well, it's a lots of championships, isn't it? It is, and I'll talk about this a bit later in the show. So for those of you not quite sure what that means, they have a whole week of festivities. Last year, oh, bloody hell, where was it last year? I'm pretty sure it was in uh, the, the Denmark, I think it was last year, okay. and I'm pretty sure the year before that was in Canada. It was one way or the other, but it's a week-long festival. They have the World Duathlon Championships, they have the Aquathon Championships, they have the Cross Triathlon, and they have the Long Course. Now, whenever you go to these things, if you gamble doing two events, it's a bit of a risk, but it does mean you got a couple of bites of the cherry at doing different things, and they kind of spread things out a little bit. Um, but for Kiwis and Aussies listening, you know, it's down this neck of the woods. It's going to be in August time. The, the Long Distance uh, World's does vary a little bit in distance but it's usually three or four k swim 120k bike and 30k run sometimes just a little bit of variation in the swim distance uh, this year it's going to be held in Spain at um, Javier Gomez's hometown again I'll talk about that or oh, I won't talk about that a bit later on um, but I'll talk about the prize money later on and Gomez is racing Always got to kind of do the hometown race when it's yeah, in you your hometown. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what uh, how this sort of pans out. But the other thing I was going to say, it was I thought it was just a bit weird that I saw a quote from Dave Beach, um, who's a fantastic guy. He's uh, he's sort of the head of Ironman in Asia Pacific. So I'm not quite sure why he had a quote in there. So I'm kind of wondering whether this is going to be a bit of a joint venture or something like that. I'm not quite sure, but we will wait. Yes, Ironman Oceania's uh, Dave Beach said the 2021 ITU Multisport World Championships would be an event to remember. So, yeah. Just just on that, how long have they been doing it as a festival thing? How long have... Uh, whether they have all the championships kind of other than, you know, your, your traditional triathlon. It's only been the last few years. Definitely was last year. Definitely was in Canada. Seems like a real win. Not quite sure about the before that. What's the feedback on it? Uh, generally good. Yeah. yeah. It's just, um, I would say 70.3 world champs has got more prestige for, for both the pros and the age groupers at this stage. For most countries, European athletes tend to have uh, hold the ITU and the ETU long distance champs. ETU is the European Union, uh, slightly higher than than what we might do elsewhere. But uh, yeah, oh, it's, it's good. Cool. They've got duathlon, the cross championships, the aquathon, aquabike, and the long course all happening. In, in and I way. like the distance as well. It's not an Ironman, it's not a half Ironman, it's that kind of in between. Uh, so I quite like the distance. So go, you Aussies. It's in Townsville. For, if people don't know where Townsville is, it's in uh, the northern part of Queensland. So if you go up there, it'll be great holiday options in terms of going to Great Barrier Reef or the Whit Sundays and places like that. So uh, Kiwis, check it out. We'll be interesting to kind of feel they get in the pros being mm. in this part of the world. Well, it's timing-wise, it's pretty good. August before um, before Kona, you know, seventy point three worlds are a little bit later. So to have a good head yeah, here's out. my prediction: mm-hmm. Crowy to take it. <laughs> Mention if he did. Here's my prediction: Crowy not to take it. <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the competitive because it, it's often but not this a very is next deep year, field. Twenty twenty one, yes. Yeah. Oh, twenty twenty one. 
Yes. I know he's not going to take it. <laughs> but it would be awesome if he did. Okay, so just one other piece of news we got released from uh, Ironman this week is that they've released the races that they're going to be doing the Facebook Live events in. There's going to be 17 events around the world in 2019. Uh, do you want to go through all of them, John? Or? No, but just a few of the ones that I don't recall there being coverage from last year was uh, Ironman Australia, um, Boulder, uh, Cork in Ireland is a new race. Most of the others, I can't remember about Lake Placid, uh, but most of the others is what you'd expect. Iron distance races of Vittoria in Spain, I don't recall seeing that. Uh, and then you've got the 70.3 Worlds and Ironman. Look, it's it's fantastic, and I, and I feel a bit of a dick being a little bit negative about this, but having seen the coverage last year, I thought they did a really good job of it. Yeah. Good engagement. Commentary was good. It's fun to watch it with other people because you see the, the comments so you can kind of interact with the crowd. But it's just a bit of a boring watch, you know. In terms of 70.3 Worlds and Ironman were fantastic. Ironman World Champs are fantastic. But a lot of these other races... It is race, just, isn't it? It is, uh, uh, totally. Yeah. But at, you know, Ironman New Zealand this year, it's a shame that it yeah, covered know, that because yeah. that would have been the exciting one. So I'm not saying every race is going to be like that, but certainly some of those tail end races... There was only two people in the race, really, and and they were ten minutes apart. So it was qu- quite a hard watch. So I'm, I'm yeah, uh, but I, on, I, on, I feel on, really bad being negative about it, but because no, it's a good thing. Yeah. But but one thing I wonder is if I'm in New Zealand this year. Now the race was really fascinating, so it would have been great to be able to go and watch it live. And it was a little bit frustrating just to have to watch the stream that they have. Mm. But you get it. Um, how often do you think you go? And when Ironman New Zealand's on, if they had a Facebook Live, and it wasn't this year, it's just your typical year where, you know, your typical race happens, how much do you think you'd watch of it? Um, I would just come and go, you know, I would come and go, I would, uh, you know, strategically watch watch it, you know, coming out of the swim, first part of the bike, I'd probably go back on and watch, you know, a little bit of the bike, just get a bit of an update, coming off the bike, I'd definitely watch it for a bit into the run, and then then it would depend on how the race unfolds. Because that's what I kind of think, I think that really this is going to cater to local markets, mm-hmm. so like, you know, I am in Australia, is coming up on the 5th of May, so a lot of Australians will probably do what you just did then. Mm-hmm. Whereas people in Europe aren't going to give a crap about I'm in Australia mm-hmm. so much. So I think what's probably going to, you're going to find is that in different regions, you'll just get your niche little market. And in some ways, that could be a good thing around sponsorship, you know, and ads on it because you get people who are just specific to the Australian market. Um, and then, you know, the big ones, is the World Champs, 70.3 and Kona, that's when you're going to get everybody there on the day. What I hope they do with this, and this is where I, where I would watch probably all of these events if they do a one-hour highlights package. <clears throat> as soon as they can after the race, uh, then I'd be watching all of them, and and I think that would be brilliant. So I'm sure that that's the angle they're going for. If you're going to be filming the whole event anyway to get that highlights package, maybe it's not that much of a cost to you know you've got to have a couple of commentators, and if you're filming all of it anyway, then um, just need an editor. Yeah. yeah. So let's see. But but. Good on you, Iron Man. Yeah, though, it, it is a good thing. We all asked for this, it, and now they're delivering. Yeah, good stuff. Coming up, races, Jumbo. We've got um, the Hits race in Ocala, which is in Florida, and, and a lot of these Hits races these days tend to be in the you know the American off season. So good on them. Just as you know, it's, it hasn't really turned into an international series like maybe they thought it would. It just seems like it's a domestic stuff. Um, there's no sort of pros racing generally, from what I can see. But that's all that's coming up next weekend. Though we're back into the real action with Ironman South Africa, and we've got a good field there and Ironman Oceanside 70.3 Oceanside it's going to be some stellar racing there as well especially on the female side so uh, we'll talk about that next week 
Oh, John's coughing. I'm yawning. It's it's all go right now in the in the studios. So, Jonbo, we have also got a bit of a John's ITU update because we had the Super League in Bali. I'm going to Bali in ten weeks from now. Oh, yeah, yeah, can't wait. Um, so this was uh, a run TT, an equaliser, an eliminator, and it was a qualifier for the next level races. Was it? It is. So. Uh, if you remember watching Super League, for those that you d- did watch it, the top 10 qualifiers from last season, now they've kind of got that season, points-based, they go through to the previous, the next year. And f- as far as I understand, it's worth your while being in that top 10 financially, so you get a retainer as well as you're being prized oh, okay. money at the races. So I think it's it's worth your while. And then they will have 10 qualifiers and then five wild cards. So as far as I can see, they have three qualifying races, one in Bali, which they had at the weekend, one in Poznan, which is in Poland, and then one in Penticton. And uh, when they get 10 qualifiers, you can't, it doesn't quite divide into three races, but from what I could see last weekend in Bali, the top three males and females, they get their qualifiers so that's going to leave one extra spot from somewhere I don't know where that'll come from so in terms of um, yeah I guess for me this is great because we did I did ask this question when we first started the series what's your pathway to get in because it was very much just hand-picked the first time and you had yep. people like Terenzo Bozzoni in there and Brent McMahon and well they and tried to do the whole it's all triathlon didn't they at first yeah and that was great just to get it off the ground but now they've got it off the ground and you've got those 10 athletes from last year and a number of them are your big hitters in terms of um, you know Brownlee um, Vincent Louis, uh, Richard Murray, etc. But then you've got some second tier guys, um, which is still really good, like Hayden Wild got in the Kiwi. Um, but I, I guess the what's the pathway in for, for guys that that uh, are the top in the world? Um, that how do they decide who gets in? So, you know, we want to see Mario Mola racing, we want to see Blumenfeld racing, and yep. people like that. And I guess they'll come in on the wild card system. But um, hopefully the series doesn't turn into just a few dominant players and then bit players, and I, and I don't think it will. Um, but yeah, it's good that they've got this qualification system in place. The people that qualified, um, a couple of them were athletes that uh, did the series over the summer months. Um, so we had on the female side, Sandra Dode. She's a regular on the ITU circuit. She's like a pocket rocket, man. She has looked really tiny. Uh, Daniela DiFrancesco, who's... Uh, she the series this year but she was getting well beaten in most of the races and Felicity Sheedy Ryan's another Australian uh, I think she might have think don't quote me on this people but I think she won the world duathlon title one year now with the Super League do they get the, the like the Super League qualifiers like Bali does it get the same kind of coverage like a mainstream media is well. oh no way no they just did some Facebook coverage and that's all I could so see. they had no race coverage or anything like that no maybe they maybe they filmed it and, and maybe they're going to do a highlights package but all I could really see was Macca uh, doing sort of just posts with a that. with a phone sort of thing because where's the money in these races well is it the Asian market, they love this sort of stuff, and the circuit they were using was short and sharp, so, you, so the your operational costs yeah. are not massive, uh, and they had a title sponsor, and how much money was on offer, I don't know, um, but triathlon in, in Asia is, especially short course, it's growing pretty rapidly, yeah. uh, and you just need to, with all this sort of stuff, you just need to find tap into one person to sign a check for you, and... Uh, 
you're away. Mm-hmm. So on the, the guys' side, you had Ryan Fisher, who's a former ITU fella who went long course and has come back again, and a couple of Frenchies, Orleon uh, Raphael and Anthony Buhardis, and he was uh, the winner of the Sea to Sky Challenge last year. Oh, there go you go. You taking, set him up. Yeah, set him up for a season of well, success. Where's he from? France. Oh, nice. Hmm. Who's your big hitter this weekend? Well, we've got Andrea Hewitt on the female oh, side, and Mike Phillips. Uh, is, Legends. I was going to see if he can get around the course uh, with his hand that's only on the recovery, so we'll oh, see how he gets hand, on. Yeah. Uh, he may still have some. I remember in France, the first year I went to France, I broke this bone in my finger like in the first um, week of being there, and then uh, first race that I came back, I had like this, uh, and it only took a handful of weeks off, had my hand wrapped in this bloody cast and stuff, and I just, in the swim, I just swam directly away from the group and just swam my own race and didn't get involved in any argy-bargy because if you whack it again, you're in, uh, you're in a spot of bother. You're in a, it's more than a spot, John. Last week's Hot Topic, basically, we, we basically said we want a pre-race music playlist because the first playlist we created, which was for the interval session, was a total win. And uh, other than Brian Adams, but we did, yeah. and I did notice one, you know, I did put a more serious, you know, submission in this time. So we wanted a pre-race. Now, John's come in and said, it's crap. Well, you can help me out here. Most uh, There's a lot of songs here that I don't know. Of the ones that I do know, most of them are pretty heavy hitting. Yeah, uh, it was. I think, but I, we've got to take responsibility here. Yes. Because I think we're already should have said is what's the best calm music to train to. Fair enough. Yep. You know I what agree. I mean? Because this playlist here, now I don't know all the songs, but like you, a lot of it is very similar to intervals. And I would say if you do have pumping music before you race which is fine it is fine but have a think about if that's really what sort of state of mind you want to be going into like a a half Ironman or an Ironman um, being really fired up is not not necessary now and that's in my opinion there's 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 lots of ways to, to, to approach races and it's like with nutrition, some people, some things work for, for different people. So I'm not saying having fire out music is wrong, but have a think about do I really want to be fired up at the start of the swim? Especially or, in Ironman. Yeah, or do I want to be actually trying to keep myself a little bit more calm? And for most people, I'd be suggesting the latter, just trying to keep yourself a bit more calm, uh, some calming, chilled out music, those Huso units we tried over in... Um, in Kona that we, we talked about. Yep. So anything like that is probably better than firing up. Might be a few uh, diff- different people that think differently about that, but yeah. Well, I think it depends on the event. If you're doing a sprint course. Yeah, yeah draft you know, league or anything like yeah, that. No, you know, you get be fired up, but anger's going to be good for you. Mm. You're out there for 10 hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fire up before the start. Yeah, and, and, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit like in long course races, do you really need a warm up? Uh, and that's maybe a discussion for another day. But you know, for me, going and doing a warm up before an iron distance race is more about nerve reduction and just just getting, getting a few moving. things moving yep. and trying to pump out another crap or something like that, yep. uh, rather than actually warming up specifically for the event. But anyway, let's uh, let's go through. So some I'm not going to create a playlist of this one because what okay. we'll do is we'll do it again in the future, and we're going to say we want the calm music you would okay. use. Uh, Mark Gillespie said Paint It Black by Rolling Stones great song dun, 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 dun. that was one of the first songs I ever learned on the guitar Jumbo cool there you go good old Phil Brotherton has got the forest uh, forecast calls by Payne 
Uh, oh, sorry. The forecast calls for pain by Robert Cray. Mark Gillespie has gone hardcore here. He's got how many bloody posts? One, two, three, four, five. Which one do I like? The next one. Uh, Hall of Fame. Living in the Hall of Fame. Beautiful day by you too. That's a good one. Andrew Weston's got uh, Never Surrender by Corey Hart. I like the inspirational, motivational songs. Uh, the beat doesn't matter. Mark Gillespie. I'm <laughs> just scrolling down. He's got. A ton here as well. He's Good dominated word. this one. Uh, go by the Chemical Brothers Sarah, oh. from Sarah Walker. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Roger Dooley's got uh, Indestructible by Disturbed, Loud and Heavy, Right Now by Van Halen. That's a good one. This one's something lighter for you. There's a few more there by Mark Gillespie. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Jeff Morgan, Prince, Let's Go Crazy. Oh, yeah, that's good. Uh, Dana, Cap- I'm going to say Copa. Kapu, um, I would like you to get oh, Brian Adams on here. Get a lot more. Yeah, she's going Brian. That Adams. might be more suitable for yeah, exactly. pre-race yep. music. Ivo, uh, the, you've got some different letters here in your name. Ivo Olstorn with a few crosses through it. Uh, Pantera, walk. Nice. Remind me not to walk and get me into beast mode for the fighting swim. So if you do want to get into beast mode, just fire up music is good. There we go. Uh, good old Bell Fong's got Mr. Brightside by The Killers, one of my favourite songs of all time. Mm-hmm. Do you know Mr. Brightside, came out probably in mid-2000s, mm-hmm. has been in the top 50 in the UK this uh, this whole time. Wow. Yeah, it's a real iconic song in the UK. Duncan Penfold, Mumph and Sons, Little Lion Man. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Dan Dixon's got Dana. Oh, Dana, 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 what did Dana have? Queen, Don't Stop Me Now, Eminem, Not Afraid, 21 Pilots, Suit and Jacket. Last one I'll do, and this is, uh, it's not calming music, but uh, Volker, the vascular Viking Voigt, Beethoven's Fifth. Oh, wow, that is very sophisticated of him. David Hayer has got I See Red by Split Ends. Ah, Kiwi Classic. And then someone down the board, good old Ian, I'm going to say Rojas, has got, he writes his own music, and I've actually got it here. I think it's going to be Hard Rock John based on this one. This is what he made, team. I'll fast forward a little bit. Where's it? That's pretty good, John. Pretty solid? Yeah, it's solid. pretty good. Here's the drop. Ah, it's good. Nice work. Well done. Okay, so if you, you can go and get his music. It's on SoundCloud. Uh, you can check it out there. So what was his name again? Ian... I'm going to say uh, R-O-J-A-S. Rojas. Rojas. Has. Yeah. Where, where do you get the H sound? Uh, it's Spanish or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Rojas. Rojas. There you go. Well, there you go. He did some pretty cool songs here. So you can check, you can check out his SoundCloud. There you nice go. Work. Yeah. He's got, he's got some followers as well. So it's good work. Okay. Uh, this week's discussion, John. I like this one. Last week, I got chastised by a couple of physios for saying I do calf raises uh, to maximum height to... to preserve my calves and reduce the injury risk and they said well you need to be doing a bit more than that and I was like well I what do you, what do they mean well you need to do a variety if, you, if you're concerned about your calves and your Achilles you need to be doing a more of a variety of exercises because doing the high calf raises uh, really will isolate one area really well yep. but then you need to progress that and do a bunch of other things which I, t- I have I do take on board but I think that complements the other th- Calf exercises yeah, that, that I already do. So <laughs> here's my excuses. Uh, but I do find that that one exercise really makes a big difference to me. And that was one of the little things that I'm doing this year because that was our discussion last week or the week before last was what are the little things you're going to do this year that are going to make a difference. And one of mine was to do regular calf raises on top of 
my regular core routine where I do some other sort of jumping and bounding and things like that. So what is the best piece of advice or exercises you've been given by a medical practitioner that you've actually stuck with? And maybe you should type that that you should have actually stuck with in capitals bold Underline Bevan, I know you probably can't do that on Facebook. No, you can't, unfortunately. But uh, the, something you've actually stuck with and done, because we've all been to the physio before, and they give you two pages of exercises, and you do them for two weeks. John, you're upsetting all the physios again. <laughs> well, they you're basically saying no one listens to physios. Bevan, do you religiously do all the exercises oh, the physios give you? on the level of the injury. Mm-hmm. If I've got a serious injury, I'm, I'm good. Yes, but for how long? Oh, until it's right. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of those exercises, you know, where I'm lucky. Carry on. The, the thing is, just have strength in your training, guys. Mm-hmm. You know, have strength in your like. like I only do. I teach two pump classes a week, and I do a core. I do one of the CX workouts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've beaten my body up for 20, 22 years now, um, and my body's still pretty good. You know, like really, I, you know, I get the old niggle, but touch wood. But I just make sure you do your strength work. Wait till you turn 45, Bevan. Oh, really? So, yeah. It goes downhill. Well, you're not there okay. yet. I'm not quite there yet. No, yeah. So what is the best advice or exercises you've been given by a medical practitioner that you've actually stuck with? John, you didn't name your song. Oh, I don't really listen to music before races. Uh, if I was to do something, it would be uh, some calming music. And you know what? I'd probably, if again, if I was going to do something, I'd probably chuck on that Huso unit and try that out just to keep me uh, calm before a race rather than firing up. Okay. Mine would be the Big Bright Yellow Sun by Fatboy Slim. Under the Big Bright Yellow Sun. It's just this long, goes about 10 minutes. Okay. Kind of calm, kind it's of builds. Song. Pulls back. Yeah, but, you know, gets you in the state, John. Mm. Gets you in the state. Because that's what you're trying to do, is you're trying to engage an emotional state, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. So there you go. So get in the state. Okay. So what's what's the advice have you listened to? And team, listen to your bloody physio. They're working hard for you. Hey, physios. Yeah, you're not in your head right now, aren't you? Because I'm right. John, sponsor. There's been some changes. Extreme endurance. So if you guys want to get it, this is for the American listeners only, unfortunately. Um, but they now have the team. Uh, XND and you can pay a $95 annual fee and you get 25% off all their products and apparel but that's but wait there's more but wait John you get free more. shipping on all your for all your uh, orders in the US and then you get discounts on other uh, other brands but then you can also start to earn some income from um, products you share with others so especially for you guys that are maybe coaches out there or uh, or you do want to just you, you love the extreme endurance and you want to share it with others and you can make a little bit on the side, go check out Team XND uh, on extreme endur- xendurance.com. Join the team and they'll fill you in on uh, what else you can do there. Outside of that, guys, uh, is that time of the year where the seasons are changing? Get the old immune boost on board, keep yourself healthy, keep training consistently, and check it all out xendurance.com or on the UK site or the European site and if you're in New Zealand or Australia you can get it through me at coachjohnnewsome.com There we go John let's go one two three four age groupers of the week week. we're going groupers groupers not grouper right Bevan you tell me an age group okay I'm going to say one age group I'm going to young ones youngies 18 to 25 18 to 25 are we going male or female we'll go both eh Okay. Yep. And what, uh, give me a number between one and five. Between one and five. Three. Oh, he's a local fella. Good stuff. 
Sam Elstob. He took he was third place at Ironman New Zealand in ten hours and fifty minutes and thirty seconds. Pretty sure it's only his third Ironman. He is a very fast runner and he should run faster than what he did in that particular race. So you Young know Sam well? Uh, reasonably well, yep. yep. He came sort of through our junior program. Now, one thing I will tell you about him. How old is he? Well, he's between 18 and 24. <laughs> I would say he's probably closer to 20 than 24. Okay. Now, if there's any footage, I wonder if I can find that footage. He used to be a gymnast. Okay. And I'm pretty sure it was Kona when he finished last year. How'd he go in Kona? Uh, don't think he did great. Okay. Um, he did a backflip on the finish line. Oh, Kona. that's a good one. Although John Newsom, as a coach, what would you say? Didn't go hard enough. <laughs> Didn't go hard enough. <laughs> yeah, no. If you could show off at the finish line, you haven't gone hard enough. Absolutely not. Impressive that you can do the feat full stop. Yep. More impressive that you can do it, even if you haven't gone hard enough when you've been out there for whatever, 10 hours or whatever it might have been. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, that was it. That was Sam, Sam's story. On the female side of things, in the 18 to 24. So it was Sam third? He was third. Okay. Yep. Well done, Sam. That's a bloody good effort. Would they get you, Kona? No, not unless you get rolled down in that, I'd say, in that age group. probably one. There'd probably be one. Yep. The females, what, uh, give me a number between one and five. I'm going to go four. Four. Ava Wheatley. Ava Wheatley. Tell me about her, John. What'd she do? She's from Australia. Australian? She did 15 hours and 41 minutes. Goodness, there's a bit of a drop off in that age group. So what did the winner do? Winner went 12.25. Second was 13.11, third was 13.37, fourth was 15.41, fifth was 16.16. I think there was only five in there. So wait, go up to the next age group. Go up to 25 to 30. What's, okay. what's the speed for that level to actually win it? 10.09. Wow. Big difference. So yeah. it's 12.25. It really is a not being nasty whatsoever, but it's more participation. Yeah. Um, 25 to 29 is... Uh, that's getting there. Okay, what about the boys? Go back to the boys at 18 to 24. What were the top guys doing? Okay, 18 to 24, age group men, 919 okay, so uh, was first, it. and then the next age group up was 902. But again, and same same sort of deal in the 18 to 24 age group, 919 first, 1026 second, 1050 third. Okay, so you're definitely seeing the occasional athlete and a bit more entry level kind of for the younger people, mm. which makes sense, doesn't it? Hardly surprising. No, no, of course not. Mm. Okay, it's this age grouper of the week, John. I'll put some music on. Here we go. What am I doing today? John's Bevan? history lesson. Come on, mate. John's history lesson. Jeepers cre- I gave him the hard point at him. Give me the old point. I point because I, I, it was his thing, so I wouldn't come in. Pointed at him, and he just went blank. I'm going, am I doing coach's corner? Went am blank I, what on us, team. Here? Went blank. Okay, John's history lesson. Let's talk about the long course duathlon championships. Yeah, it's not going to be a super duper long one but, uh, today, but the ITU long distance world championships kicked off in 1994, and this was right at the beginning when I first started getting involved in triathlon there's not a lot of history around this but what I would say is I'm pretty sure the reason it sort of came about was Nice uh, Ironman 
you know, had, had left Nice and they were trying to resurrect the race. And Ironman had left. So it was, wait, oh, was Nice no, wasn't Ironman. Maybe Ironman wasn't even in Nice before that. But it basically, the Nice Triathlon needed a bit of a, a boost. And they, Arnold Sulikov, you can tell me if I'm going off uh, track here a little bit. But so they, they wanted to get some prestige back to the Nice Triathlon because originally it was just a Nice Triathlon. And, and, nice, it, and, and for those who don't know, Nice and Nakona were on par. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd say Kona still was was higher, but Nice drew an extremely strong yep. crowd. Mark Allen won it 10 or 11 times, but you'd get a really, really good field. And it was, you know, you'd say it was the number two long course race of, of the year. Um, so just before we go into this, how big were half Ironmen at this time? Well, there weren't any half Ironman, brand, or if, maybe I won't say there weren't, but half Ironman races were, were nothing like they were now. Yeah. It was uh, fairly few and far between, and it, they weren't... I don't think at that stage there were any Ironman-branded half Ironmans, okay. uh, if you know what I mean. There yeah. was certainly no championship race. So the half Ironmans did exist, but uh, they weren't part of any series or championship or anything like this. So I think they're, 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 in 1994, 1995, 1997, uh, they had the long course worlds in, uh, in Nice. And yeah, I think it was trying to resurrect that 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 sort of race it was and, and that's the classic nice distance they had down there and it's kind of stuck pretty closely to that ever since so then then they had the 4k swim the 120k bike and the 32k run and most years we've had that uh they did in 2001 decide to do an iron distance race in uh, frederica in denmark where they did full iron uh, they've had a couple of years where they've gone um, half iron distance um, races they did that in uh, Muncie I remember that race Muncie in 1996 I remember Jamie Hunt who a lot of you may know he's what the one of the head guys that started two times you he was a former oh, really? uh, ITU athlete for New Zealand very good uh, former world junior duathlon champion and I remember we had a training camp in Flagstaff, Arizona, and Jamie was up there doing that, and we all went off to the World Champs that year in Cleveland, Ohio, and he, Jamie went off to do the Long Course World Championships. Uh, so yeah, it's been running every year, run by ITU, but by local organisers, and it really has gone to all different corners of the world. You know, you've gone France, Japan, Denmark, um, Spain, uh, Australia, uh, Germany, couple of times been in, in America they had one in, in Henderson in Nevada and I, mean, I think that was the year where they kind of had the ITU worlds and the 70.3 worlds fairly close together the Americans had an Oklahoma City last year Penticton was the year before that so back to that question you had earlier in the show Bevan um, how many years have they run this event as a festival yep. I'm pretty positive it's only the last two years because that race in Oklahoma City I'm sure was just a, a sort of standalone okay. uh, half distance race um, we've had some fantastic Fantastic athletes win this race, but I'd say by and large, it has often been dominated dominated by European athletes who, you know, I think they can possibly tap into a bit more funding in terms of if you win an ITU world title, maybe they can access some funding through their national bodies. Certainly, on uh, the same probably applies for the ETU where they have the ETU long distance championships. So when we look through the last few years, last year. Pablo Gonzalez took out the race in front of Rudy Wilde and Marco Albert. Lionel Sanders was before that. Then we had a, a string of Frenchies take it out with um, Sylvain Sudry, Cyril Veno, Bernard Bitram, Mac has taken it out one year. Jordan Rapp's taken it out. Tim O'Donnell's had it. 
Chawborn Sinbali, Victor Zemintsev, Peter Sandvang won it three times in a row, Luke Van Laird won it 97-98, Greg Welsh, Simon Lessing and Rob Burrell are some of the names on the male side of it. Um, Females, um, we've had quite a few of the the Brits have done well at this race. She's Uh, looking for 95, you had Lessing, Van Laird and Pete Reid. So early on, it was obviously drew a better field, didn't it? Yeah, when well, you didn't have the seventy point three world champs either. Because then the next year you had Welch, Van Leer, Spencer Smith. Mm. You know, that's that, that, those are the guys, aren't they? It, it, totally. At that moment, and that was the crossover. So we talked last week about how you know the long course guys doing short course racing kind of died in the early nineties. Mm. This this probably was the last time where Greg Welch, Luke Van Leer, and Spencer Smith, you had you know a mix of both. ITU short course and long course guys. Yeah, well, as soon as drafting came in, which was was ninety six, that was when yeah things things started change and and certainly some of the ITU guys said screw this, I'm not doing uh, any draft legal races. Um, Spencer Smith, I'm pretty sure he never went to a, a draft legal world championships. Simon Lessing did. Uh, Greg Welsh, that was kind of right at the end of his career. So, yeah, on the female side, we, um, again, as I said before, lots of uh, Brits have won it. Four years in a row, the Brits took it out with uh, Bella Comerford, Leander Cave, Chrissy Wellington, Jodie Swallow, and two years later, Rachel Joyce. Um, the la- Jodie Swallow took it out again in uh, 2016, so eight, seven, eight years after her first one. Last year, Hallie Fredrickson from Denmark took it out, Sarah Crowley, uh, and then also in the earlier years, we had some uh, Isabel Rose. Mouton. Jenny Rose, yep, uh, she was uh, she's a was a good cantab. Um, went on a few good camps with Jenny as well. well she was was at the pinnacle of her career. Yeah, she she was of, of that era again where draft legal came in, struggled a bit. She was you know her strength was was on the bike, uh, and and never really cracked it uh, at draft legal. Karen Smyers took it out ninety six. Some of the um, Isabel Mouton a couple of times took it out. Uh, who else have we got in there of note? Caroline Stephan, who we talked about earlier in the show, 2010. Uh, Mel Halstein and uh, Sarah Crowley, 2017. Virginia um, Bariska Tully. Bariska Tully. She, she was the one who got done for drugs, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah, she did too. Yeah. Oh, hey, does that still count then, John? Uh, we've got uh, and plenty of big names and on the podium as well. You know, you got Natasha Badman finished second in twenty and in, in two thousand. Yvonne Van Vlerken's names there a few times. Andrea Hewitt finished third in twenty fourteen. Uh, so good, good event. Well, I guess one of the things for it is, is I always struggle. Why don't more pros turn up to this race? Well, and it is a, it is a world title. It's a world title. You know, and, one and, thing. and like because Mecca had. Four-time world title winner or something on his always always PR, and you kind of go it's true. Yeah, and, and I know it meant quite a bit to Macca. It meant a bit to to, to Crowey as well. You know, I think he prioritised this event a couple of times. Uh, the prize money is pretty reasonable. You know, it's uh, about eighty thousand dollars US for that particular race. And if you're thinking as a hit out before Worlds, it's reasonably good timing now. And when we compare that to most of the you know seventy point threes. Outside of the championship races, they're all significantly lower prize money. You know, a typical seventy point three is twenty five to thirty thousand dollars total. If you go to a championship race like the Asia Pacific seventy point three champs, seventy five thousand uh, dollars. European, yeah, they're all seventy five thousand. Uh, granted, the ITU, you know, granted the seventy point three world 
championships at $250,000. So I guess that's kind of where you go, where do my priorities lie? Going to 70.3 Worlds, $250,000 on the line, or ITU Worlds, $80,000 on the line. And what you tend to find is that ITU Long Distance World Champs gets a field that's of a similar caliber to a really strong 70.3 race or one of the not the world champs, but one of the other championship races. It's um, you get a few really good athletes, but it's usually not that deep. But you would argue it's probably an easier way to make money. Yep, for more for second tier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's yeah, interesting stuff. So yeah, for everybody in this part of the world, uh, check out the Australian race in 2021. This year it's in Spain in Gomez's hometown. Off the top of my head, I don't actually know where it is next year. Have you ever raced this distance? Yes, what did I you find think it? I did. Uh, I exploded. I, I did a race in, I'm pretty sure it was a, that distance, in, Sa- in Sado Island in Japan. And so what used to happen is they'd invite a few international athletes, like just hack people <laughs> like me. <laughs> and we went over. And did was, you get treated like a starbuck? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, uh, and so they always, they, what they typically invite is uh, a male and female um, Kiwi, male and female Aussie. And they, they don't invite them. The, you personally, they go to Triathlon New Zealand or Triathlon Australia. Can we just have one athlete send over all expenses paid? If there's, uh, there's usually prize money on offer as well. And I went to Japan a couple of times. And this race, I remember Jason Shortis was was there. And yeah, I remember uh, it was pretty toasty. And we were coming out of the middle of that, middle of winter. I can't remember if it was a half Ironman, all that in between distance. And I was doing reasonably well. And then, um, yeah, the, <laughs> we were running, running through these buddy, I don't know if they were paddy fields or something, but I just remember my head just exploding with heat on the run. <laughs> and I got home okay, but I, I can't even recall. I wish I'd kept a, train, a log of, all my races that I've ever done from day one, uh, just a couple of lines about each one of them. I remember in Hallman's book, and if you don't want to check that out, go online and look look for it. Uh, they did a review on Slow Twitch the other day. Oh, did they? But yeah, just be, and I know Hallman's wrote a couple of lines about every race that he did, and I wish I'd done that. It'd be so cool to have the memories of those races that well, I've done. Because I've talked about this before, but I wrote a journal every night, and when you write a journal every night, it's kind of a catchment of your life, and I don't really do it for that reason, but the real cool thing about it is when you go back and read it, it unlocks so many other memories from that day. Mm. You know, and So even if you just wrote a couple of lines, it actually trigger a lot of other thoughts that came alongside that experience. So yeah, if you, nowadays it's a bit different because it kind of happens automatically. But, or you can go to our old sponsor, Athlinks.com. Athlinks. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Jombo, we've got an interview coming up. Sven Larsen is, he's actually started here, didn't he? He's, he's from... I think he's, uh, he's either Swedish yeah, or South African. They're part of the world. They're part of the world. You're covering Europe or South Africa. Yeah, there you go. But he uh, he is a doctor, but he also does a lot of work on resilience. I interviewed him on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. So we're just putting it up today because John's got things to do. So here it is right now. It's Dr. Sven Larsen. Okay, team, I'm very happy to have Sven Hansen on the show today. He's a, he's a global man, is what he told me before. He's lived all around the world in his time, but he also has a, a website called resilienceeye.com, and he is the Resilience Institute is his big thing, and we'll get him to tell us all about this. Just welcome to the show. Thank you, Bevan. Delighted to be here. Maybe um, you could just start with giving a bit of a history on yourself. Yeah, short story. Um, European family, grew up in Cape Town, uh, blessed, very academic family. I was a little bit of an experimental child. So my, you know, my dad was very into the um, 
medical elements of well-being way before his time. My mum was a psychiatric social worker, so you kind of got to understand my life was interesting. Up at four, barefoot runs, cold swims, broccoli for breakfast, oh, really? and then a smidgen of psychotherapy before school. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, it was an interesting uh, environment to, to be in. And I um, finished school, was a little confused, went off to the States. I loved skiing, but realized the Americans were, were a very different lot. So when I came back, I joined the Army and uh, ended up in a stint in Special Forces, which was really, for me, um, unbelievable good foundation training. And then I did the medical thing, finished that, came out to New Zealand in 1986, uh, worked in sports medicine after my hospital years, and then started to ask the question, so what if we took all the stuff we're learning about the bodies, the emotions, the mind of athletes, and applied it to people like us who work for a living? And started to experiment with that, I suppose, in the early 90s. And to, to be honest, in those days, it was very difficult. I was probably a little ahead of the, the curve and paid a price for that. Um, and we ended up in um, Auckland. And um, you know, maybe since uh, it was 2002, we set up the business formally. And quite quickly, we got going in New Zealand and Australia. It took another eight years to get going in Europe and Southeast Asia. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good, fun little business. We're having a lot of fun now. So, so when you started it out, um, so you're kind of saying that uh, you wanted to move more into this, what you're doing now. At that time, it was kind of a new world, and obviously you're kind of a bit ahead of the game. But what were you hoping to create when you first started out? Yeah, so very early on, you know, I, I kind of realized that, and it was a very personal decision, curative medicine was not for me. You know, much as I actually was reasonably good at surgery and diagnostics, I, I really had a deep philosophical belief that we should be using the science of medicine to help prevent disease. Mm. So the question was, I guess, when I saw what you could achieve with motivated athletes and coaches, you know, how do you get to more people? And business to me was, frankly, the way to get to more people. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it sort of worked eventually. It was just very difficult in the beginning. But what were some of the, like, I know we'll talk a little bit about some of the, the things that the listener can kind of apply to their life moving forward, but what were some of the challenges for you at that moment? Personally? Yeah. Yeah, I was a lucky young guy at that time, I suppose. Uh, I mean, I had not very much money. I spent everything I had on sport and outdoors, which uh, Christchurch was very generous with. Um, I mean, I think, you know, maybe the one thing, and it, 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 it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because New Zealand is small, mm -hmm. so you're not surrounded with, um, with experts like you would be in, say, Silicon Valley. So it was lonely. You know, I had to read a lot. I had to travel a lot to get my information to validate ideas. Having said that, you know, the power of doing something in New Zealand is you really learn to be a bit of a generalist. And you have to end up being commercial pretty quickly, otherwise you don't survive. Mm. So I didn't have the luxury ever of working in a silo. Um, but I think, you know, that, that's something that many New Zealand entrepreneurs and managers really benefit, benefit from is we have that ability to see the bigger picture. Mm. 
Mm. If you go into a U.S. business, you know, you are the expert in X. And don't get too cl- close to Y or Z. Mm. It's, 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 yeah, and that's limiting. Mm. So, you know, double-edged sword, but I think in the long run, for me, it's a great thing. Mm. So, so, so how do you define resilience? What, what is resilience, if, if we go back yeah. to basics? Super important to, to do that, because right at the moment, there are an awful lot of people uh, touting resilience. Many of them do not have a formal background in it. And, of course, it's such a vast topic, it's really easy to get confused. I'm not suggesting we're right, right? But our working definition is that for someone to be resilient, they need to demonstrate a few things. Number one, an ability to bounce. Number two, an ability to grow. You know, to understand that actually humans are not fixed in concrete. We're unbelievably plastic. Right from a muscle to one of those magical brain cells in your prefrontal cortex, all of human nature is growable, physically, emotionally, mentally. And to just let ourselves decline is, to me, the tragedy of humanity. Whereas, you know, if we can just encourage people to be a little more optimistic and a little bit more effortful, perhaps, it's life-changing. And uh, that's a key part, I guess, and that's been in the literature since the 60s and 70s. Our third criteria is to connect. Because at the end of the day, you can be Mr. Superperson, but you know what, if you do not feel connected to people, it's a desperate situation. We are social. And this is one of the dangers of our, you know, very digital lives, is that we're trading true FaceTime for digital time. And the evidence on that is pretty frightening. Mm -hmm. So we will not get rid of devices. We need to use them smartly. So the question in Connect is how do we help people to be very, very good in making connections, making authentic connections, learning to have honest conversations, maybe even fierce conversations, but still not losing the care, the kindness, the goodness. Then the fourth one is what we call flow. And at the end of the day, you know, for most of our teams around the world, that's, that's the why, because there is this state that humans can learn to experience where you can be five times more productive and a team can be at least double as innovative and productive, and that's called flow. And you can't do flow all the time, but you know if you could spend an hour or two in flow in each of your working days, that would be a huge, huge, huge upside. Mm. What are some of the things that work against resilience? Approach in a few angles. Um, you know, one of the things that we're wrestling with, particularly at this time in, in humanity, is that in the old days, life kept you fit. If you didn't jump out of bed with dawn, something snacked on you. You know, if you didn't race the monkeys to the trees, you went hungry. You know, so you were climbing, you were running, you were sleeping long nights, you were waking up with a blue dawn. You had to collaborate with your fellow members of the tribe, otherwise humans couldn't make it. So in many ways, think of us as as creatures that came from quite a dynamic, challenging, physical, emotional environment and a problem-solving environment. Now we don't have that, right? I can wake up whenever I like. I don't need to go to sleep at night because I've got bright lights and all kinds of devices to keep me going. I don't have to exercise and just get in my car, you know, or my scooter or whatever it is. Mm. Um, You know, I I don't really need to spend time with you. I could just Google away. Mm. 
and live in a virtual imagined world. So we're in that really interesting situation where we where um, resilience is not enforced by a tough natural environment. It becomes a choice. And we're, we're in a world with many, many, many difficult choices. You know, shall I walk to work or shall I get the bus? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get in the bus, you've just made a decision. It's maybe good for the planet in some ways, but it's maybe not as good as walking. And I guess in a modern world, you take simple things like that, having a really honest, fierce conversation, it's very challenging, right? It demands courage. Maybe easier for me just to give you a little white lie. Right? So I think what we're facing now is a situation of choice, which is a wonderful luxury and freedom we have in our modern age. Making wise choices is getting a little complicated. Mm. I, I remember um, there's a history podcast I listened to, and he, and he, and he talks about how the generation that came after the war or the generation that was in the Second World War, how they, if, if it came down to just the, the battle, you know, if, if we could fight them without technology, they would just destroy us because they're so resilient because of the, the cause of that time. That time, you know, there was, there was no resources, there was no money. You know, that, mm-hmm. that generation had to be so resilient because life forced them into it. And as you're saying there, the situation we have now is life is making it so much easier for us to be kind of inactive and lazy in both physical and mental yeah. and social. Yes, um, and exactly. so we're, we've got this kind of big machine working against us and, and, and developing a resilience, I suppose. Yeah. Isn't it such an interesting challenge? You yeah, know? And, is. and then it, 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 it gives us kind of, uh, and this is, you know, a, a huge concern at Davos's meetings in the last mm-hmm. five years. This choice presents a really difficult issue because you can see how some people and you know your listeners are probably right into this right they know all kinds of things they're making wiser choices you know maybe 50 100 200 times a day some people just are not quite there yet well, so yeah, and the and marketing like, is beating them oh, and, also, and they're like, making bad choices oh sorry but was, um, i remember like i remember a few years ago um I, I didn't have a TV for years. I didn't have, and, um, and I remember one day we went to a friend's house and we just spent the night there. And, we, and it was the first time I'd seen a recordable box, you know, where you record, you know. And I realized after about four hours, we just sat down because there weren't ads. We didn't stand up, you know. And the thing is, is that a lot of people, these things get included into their life, but they're not conscious of it. You know, and and so they're not really aware of the kind of the stepping back that they're taking and how to live with a resilience life, aren't they? Absolutely. You know, my, one of my favorite mentors, Dr. Merv Dickinson, who's actually still alive and well in Christchurch, uh, he always said to me, life is a conspiracy to put you to sleep. Ah, nice. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's so true, isn't it? You know, because, and this is the problem, you know, if you're aware, you can make wise choices. If you're not aware, you will end up being defaulted into the bad choices. So, of course, what we're seeing now is 1% part of the population is really reaping the benefits of resilience. They got it, you know, they got their physical well-being sorted, taking time to relax, meditating. They're into emotional intelligence. They're learning about the brain and how to train the brain, and they're reaping the rewards. And then on the other side, we've got people who are just making terrible choices about their physical well-being, awful decisions in how they relate to people or not. And so, so your organization is there to bring resilience into people's lives when you when you first get introduced to because i imagine you mainly work for organizations i'm sure individuals as well how much resistance do you experience 
to be honest, in the early days, a lot. I mean, people just could not even conceive of why it was relevant. Okay. It's very different today. So, you know, our, our problem is actually working out who to work with because many, many employers are really conscious of the costs of all kinds of things. You know, people might not be well, they might have absenteeism issues, emotional issues, which causes tremendous damage in the high-performing teams. Um, you know, you think about the sleep issues. Um, it's, uh, it's a pressing need for many employers. So, no, I think the answer is it's not difficult. You know, our, our challenge is, is how to serve our clients with the right solution. That's difficult. And before we go into kind of some of those solutions, uh, the question I have is how do you feel we can, you know, you're saying that there's this kind of aspect of society who gets it and are aligned with it and are kind of doing the work and getting the benefits and then there's this kind of the sleeping other side who, you know, not because the you know bad people, they just maybe don't have the un introduction to it or don't really understand it. Mm, has it come yet? How do you see it as a community, as a society that we can open, you know, because one thing I often talk about is, you know, when we look at society's problems, it's often just we have broken people. You know what I mean? And, and, and I always think that maybe as a society, the two questions we need to explore is how do we create less broken people and how do we look after those who mm -hmm. are broken so they become mm -hmm. less broken? Um, and so, and I don't think pointing the finger down is the answer. I don't think that, you know, I think this is an answer Agree. we need to kind of work together towards. So how do you see a future where it wouldn't just be a 1% thing, where it would be a, um, a mess, you know, this is the norm, I suppose, is what I'm looking for here. Well, so, you know, I, I'm uh, not just a possibilist on this. I'm an optimist. It's happening really fast. I think it's incredibly exciting. Okay. You know, so there are a couple of things happening. One is that education and knowledge is just so easily distributed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you say, it's very easy and it's a natural human thing to do, point the finger down and say, they. Yeah. That's a really clueless response to, <laughs> to the reality, yeah. right? Yeah. The they are actively learning about this stuff. You know, whether you go to, you know, and, and I have direct experience of this in the last couple of months, a mother in Malawi or a mother parent in, in South Auckland, they are actively focused on how do they feed their kids well? How do they take care of their kids? How do they get their kids well educated? It's a massive groundswell. And I guess as the internet brings more of this knowledge to people, you know, look at what you and I are doing right at the moment, yeah. hopefully some people get something, mm. right? And it catalyzes a bit of a journey. Um, we also have, you know, these apps, you know, right around the world, one thing just about everybody has now is a smartphone of some sort. And yeah, so I think, I think we're sitting at a really wonderful threshold. Now, I'm not saying it won't be difficult to change bad habits, right? Anyone who's been trapped by whatever bad habits knows what a challenge it is. But I do think the knowledge, the motivation, the groundswell, it's, it's becoming very widespread. Mm. So can you talk us through your, your resilience spiral? Can you tell us a bit about what that is and how that, that kind of works and maybe just give us a bit more depth on that? It's a, it's a model that you guys obviously use to develop mm -hmm. resilience. You just want to talk about it so people can get an understanding of it. Yeah, so hi history was, you know, when I was sitting in the years of, of being an executive health doctor and in medicine they teach you that you're normal or you're sick, you've got a diagnosis. 
And I guess as I had more time to understand people who were mostly highly functional, what I understood is that between normal and, say, depression, there were some stages. And you don't go normal depressed. Yeah, Very yeah. rare, right? It may yeah. be something bad happens in your life, but you bounce back from that generally quite quickly. Um, there was this process. So in a nutshell, what, what you know, the, the spiral tries to just remind us that we have an altitude. Sometimes we wake up and we feel fantastic. The sun is shining. You feel full of energy. Life's a blast. Let me rock. Yeah. The other days you wake up and you just want to jam the pillow over your head. You feel like death warmed up. The last thing you want to do is go and deal with the dramas that face you. That's altitude. So our spiral was to try and help people have a, have a much more precise view of their altitude. You know, working, so right at the bottom we talk about depression and being really truly disabled, and that could be heart attacks, it could be immune failure, the number of ways to do it. Depression is the one that's most common at the moment. But distress, you know, for example, I'm in the traffic, someone stops prematurely at a light, I have to jam, the light's still orange, I'm kind of thinking, you know, who is this person? And I have a flush of distress, of high blood pressure, of an accelerated heart rate, my face gets angry. Do I even notice that? Most people don't. Mm. So you can work up that spiral, you know, and as we move into the top side, our kind of view is if the goal is flow, to wake up and say, this is a good thing to do. I'm blessed to be able to do it, and I'm going to do it well. That's kind of a flow day. To do that, you first need to be calm, steady, present. Two, you need to have had a good night's sleep. You need to be physically fit. You need to eat decently. Three, you'd need to understand your emotions. You've got to be able to control your emotions, and you've got to be able to dial into other people's emotions. And only then do we really have the freedom to use this wonderful mind properly. Because if that anger in the traffic captures my mind, I have very little choice. What do I do? I wag my finger, I fly the bird, I swear, you know, I beat my wheel. I mean, how futile. So it's, you know, usually it's the physical and the emotional things that unravel our minds. If we can get that right, the freedom to see what's actually going on, to choose what you're going to do in situations, you know, that's your doorway to flow. So we kind of suggest, you know, life is, of course, and, and many people listening, I imagine, would think, well, wow, sometimes I'm at the top, sometimes at the bottom. True. Some people vary the altitude regularly and sometimes quite violently. So, for example, in bipolar disorder, you go from a manic high altitude state, super confident, super energized, full of the joys. And then next day, you crash. And some of the most creative work done by some of the great inventors and scientists and musicians of our time has been when they're coming up that spiral. You know, that's when your creative ideas consolidate. Yeah, so that's what it is. You know, question one, where am I? Question two, can I get where I need to be? Question three, where are you today? You know, and how, how do I learn from being with you, how you're traveling? And three, can we work together to, to lift the game a bit? And ultimately, I suppose, in the long term, it's to be consistently at the higher level, isn't it? Yes and no. Okay, tell me more. Um, there are some people who are very steady and really positive and just have the joys of life. So when they talk about people like Matthew Ricard and the Dalai Lama, these guys are super happy. Nelson Mandela is another example. 
Uh, they just radiate joy. That takes a lot of hard work. And I think the reality of life for most of us is that sometimes we hit that joy. But sometimes bad things happen. You know, sometimes you look at the suffering around us and it really hurts, right? Or you look at your kids, you know, and you look at the world and some of the challenges we're facing, it hurts. So I wouldn't want to suggest that we should always be at the top of the pile. Okay. I think to be able to suffer, to feel, to be compassionate is very important. And hence the whole of the spiral is necessary. You know, as in the Buddhist literature, they talk about the four noble truths. And right at the beginning of that is to know suffering. Because if you don't know suffering, you can be unwise as you fly around. There's a recent movie uh, about this called Fire, F-Y-R-E. Have you seen that? Is that the one about the, the festival? Yeah, I did watch that, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So there's a good example of, you know, people playing at the top end. Enron is another more business example yeah. of getting carried away with being too high and not pausing to think of the costs, the consequences, how people might suffer. Mm. Yeah, so I think it's a whole experience. Mm. And I think, you know, sometimes uh, it's actually good to be able to wake up and say, you know what, I feel absolutely miserable today. Mm. Mm. But you know what, I could do something about it. And that, but that's the key, isn't yeah. it? Because is, is, is you don't have to be debilitated by it. Like, for example, um, I have a business, a running business, and... Um, we have this funny business model, which means basically every eight weeks we have four days of high stress, <laughs> and you and you kind of uh, you know you kind of get this moment where you kind of think the world's going to end, and, and it never does. We've been doing it for ten years, it's, you, and you know you're being irrational, um, but you're still going through the emotion of it. Um, and the thing for my wife and I that we always are glad we have is that that time takes us to action, so we don't get debilitated, we don't get frozen. It's like, okay, well, how do we work through this and, and practically and emotionally? And uh, that's the thing, that kind of point you make there is that because I'm in this place doesn't mean it's a stamp in time that I have to sit and it, I can work through exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that was one of the great lessons of my time in Special Forces is you learn to ride the waves mm. and you know there's always a way out. You never, ever, ever uh, give up. You mm. never blame someone else. You, you own the situation and you set about trying to fix it. Mm. So, it's very good. They drill that into you, you know, over and over and over again for months until you, you start to begin to believe you can do it. Well, you're right. I remember when I did Ironman Triathlon for years and I remember a mate of mine said to me, you can always give up later on in the day, you know. And, and, but by that time, you, never, you, you didn't need to give up, you know. You'd, you'd work through that moment, hadn't you? Yeah, it's a good biohack, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really is. Give up later. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You give up, give up in two hours. And it's like two hours later, you're like, I'm feeling great. Um, so, okay, so someone who's listening to this who maybe feels they don't have resilience, and a lot of people do, you know, a lot of people, like I remember when I did Ironman, I, people always saw me as mentally hard. And, and I'd always get the question of, do you think it's something you're born with or do you think it's something you developed? Now, I, I knew it was something I developed, but um, you know, I think a lot of people just think, oh, that person has it. So for those people who don't feel they have resilience, what are some of the, and I know you've got lots of tools, but maybe what are a couple of tools that can really help them work towards developing better resilience in their life? Excellent question. Uh, first uh, is, is a deep inner belief that you, you do have resilience. There is no human being, even those of us who are born with, with really tragic genetic 
issues, you are born with resilience. Biological nature is to bounce. Everything that lives bounces. It does, grows. Does, does, when you, I, I think I know what you mean to say bounce, but bounce is what? Bounce is that ability to acknowledge the suffering and to quickly okay. bring yourself back up. Okay, great. Yep. All right? Cool. Uh, so, look, I think we are, by our very biological nature, we are built for resilience. Mm. And if you believe that, you're already well on your road. You know, how you step practically is complicated. And I think it's very important to say there are many, many paths. But, you know, if, if I were to sort of say a, a general practical path that's going to sort things for most people, step one, lock your sleep down. Make sure you're getting that seven to eight hours at the right time through the night and the right quality. Yeah, there is more than enough evidence showing how lack of sleep or disrupted sleep or um, irregular sleep is um, shattering humanity. Mm. And the problem with sleep is that in the past, we never had too little. Whereas thirst is very resilient in the human body. Uh, sleep is not. We don't even know when we sleep deprived. So fix sleep, number one. Uh, number two, move. You know, the entire human being is, as you know, made to move. Mm -hmm. So in, in some ways you can think of your brain and your emotions. They actually uh, are serving a moving body mm -hmm. at the end of the day. So that, um, you know, building movement into every single day is step two. I would love to think that included aerobics and flexibility, yeah. some strength and balance, but just move. just move, just yeah. move, right? Yeah. Uh, three um, is, is to learn a, we use the term tactical calm, all right? So apart from a few really exceptional people, meditation or mindfulness is, is bewilderingly difficult. Mm. So learning how to quickly calm yourself in that moment in the traffic, for example, to know how to adjust your posture, how to exhale, how to to be able to, um, we talk about this vagal nerve, you know, something the yogis and the Navy SEALs and the All Blacks have in common. They are able to quickly slow their heart rate and get into heart rate variability. Literally, in a moment, on a decision, on a breath. That's That's got to be so. So the sleep, the movement, the tactical calm. Now, I think nutrition is important, but it may not be as important as we think compared to some of the other ones. So I'd probably go for number four would be to start calling your emotions. When you feel sad, say, ah, I'm sad. Name it and then own it. I feel sad. And then resolve to move to a better place. Emotional resilience, flexibility, bounce, whatever you regulation, whatever you want to call it, is, is, is a transformer. But you have to be able to name it. All right, so taking, why? why? Why is that so important? For a, a simple reason, uh, and that is that when you consciously name an emotion, you, um, you switch the function of the brain from the amygdala, which feels sad or frightened or angry, 
into the frontal cortex, which says, oh, I am feeling sad. The amygdala just says, everything is sad. Okay. And I'm part of the sadness. Whereas once you get to the front of your brain, you name it, you've created a subject and an object. You know, at the lower part of consciousness, you just are your sadness or you mm. are your anger. You can't distinguish. Mm. I think the, uh, you know, the incredible power of naming it is now I can look at something and I can evaluate it and I can potentially change it. So it gives you the ability to be able to process the sadness. Whereas before that moment, if you don't put the identification on yourself and the object, yeah. it's kind of, it just is. Yeah. Okay. And you're stuck. So as soon as you can name your emotions, you can move. Okay. Remember, emovare, to move, or e, motion, motion. Yeah. So if we can find the right emotion, we can move where we need to move. Mm. Five, in today's world, we are so, so hypervigilant. You know, the average young person, our generation, are switching attention every 18 seconds. Wow. We've kind of lost our minds. So five would be to help yourself see when you're thinking and to say, hang on, am I present? It's really easy, you know, I'm aware of the noise outside. So I get thinking on that noise and what am I going to do about that noise? But I lose my presence to you. Mm. So to be able to notice that thinking and say, ah, not now, be here. No, here, here, with Ben, with Ben. Now, you know, you think about how this disturbs people at night how it disturbs people in social occasions. It's this endless noise in our minds. So finding simple ways to keep your mind quiet and present would be number five. That would be a start. Yeah, pretty good five. Um, what do you, when, you, when, when you work with somebody and they, they do this kind of work and they get to the other side, what are some of the benefits? What do, what do, what do you hear from those who have made the progress about the progress they have made? Yeah, so the beauty of, of, of people is we're so different. And people find so many different ways to find their way out. Let me take a couple uh, that are, are, are kind of fun to, to appreciate with people who get the wins. A really common one is people get their sleep sorted. They rave about it. All right, the first thing they rave about is the energy. For the first time in their lives, they actually feel alive for the whole day. Second thing they'll say is, you know what, I can't believe it, but when I put my head in the pillow now, I'm just gone. That's a big one. And a lot of people get that. Um, breathing, you know, using that tactical calm idea, that is a game changer. And I guess people, you know, a lot of the anxiety and so on disappears. So people really rave about that, particularly in social situations, because it is those social situations that often make us uh, anxious. Um, you know, some of the special ones, you know, I've met with someone who had lost 18 kilograms two weeks ago wow. through a very deliberate program of taking care of his eating, taking care of his exercise, having a coach, working with his wife. That's a big job. But the pride and the fulfillment that someone who achieves that kind of change, uh, it's, it's immense. Yeah, and the shift in identity as well, wasn't it? Oh, uh, yeah, because we are very physical, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, totally. you know, 
beginning. Yeah. yeah, you know, that kind of, there's so much value of that journey, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the, the other ones that are lovely. I mean, I think to, to actually start to dial into your emotions, it really makes life so much richer. And it actually, at the end of the day, it also gives you a lot of control where you can say, oh, that was a bit of sadness, but I'm over it now. Yeah. Or, yeah pretty angry, but I said, I oh, was sorry. We've moved on. So, you know, as you bring that emotional intelligence into the game, your life changes at a very profound way. You know, you start connecting better. You enjoy people more. Those are big pluses. You stop doing so much collateral damage. You know, yeah, well, that's the thing. Is I, often for, I often think that for a lot of people, their emotional time, at least challenging emotional times, just creates more damage in their life. But when you can develop really great tools around dealing with emotion, it actually becomes an esteem point. Um, it's something that you're really proud of. It's not that you didn't feel sad or it's not that you weren't angry. It's, it's, but I'm really proud of how I responded to those things. And so you, there's this kind of inner sense of self that's really strong. You know, there's lots of the early research in resilience which goes way back to the 40s and 50s, uh, showed very clearly that um, it was those harsh, adverse emotional events that helped us build resilience. Okay. And we look at people who've been very successful, they've often found a way to negotiate and do exactly as you said, you know, to turn what could be a critical post-traumatic stress event into a growth event. It's an interesting idea, you know, medicos love to use this language of post-traumatic stress disorder. What about post-traumatic growth disorder? Mm. Because, you know, at the end of the day, most people who go through difficult times actually get stronger. They become wiser. Mm. You know, we kind of teasingly on people, I mean, it's a little harsh, but, you know, in some ways, I think it's a very good thing to go down that dark side of the spiral and to really hit the bottom. Mm. It'll make you wiser than almost any other experience. And once you know what it's like and you've worked your way back up, you will be so confident. The next time it happens, you'll catch it much earlier mm. and your bounce will be much faster. Mm. Yeah. Well, that was my journey. I, I was the total dropkick and there was I did hit the bottom. And, um, really? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And um, and that was my journey. And um, I was. And in some ways, you look at some people who you kind of think you just need to go a little bit lower. <laughs> you know, you need to crash a little bit lower because you're you're kind of a little bit too comfortable where you are. But if you go a bit lower, yes. you, you might hit yes. that point. Yes. And then you'll you'll you will transform. You know, like it's you know. You yeah, know. and you get to this point. You know, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. This is just too hard. It's just. You know. This is just pointless. Yeah, totally. And it, and it's often big shifts happen in that moment, don't they? Yeah, yeah. they really can. Yeah. Yeah, so those are, I guess, some of the, the changes. Um, you know, I often think that, you know, sometimes the sort of being able to bounce, being able to take care of your body, stay fit and calm, that's hygiene. You know, the real game is when you can live with your emotions and your mind and flow being a part of every day. You know, that that's a blast, right? Well, and, you know, when we think about the kind of reward of that, you know, like the benefit of flow is you, you – you know, I remember, did you watch the Richie McCaw documentary? Um, yeah, and I, I never, I never really enjoyed Richie McCaw. Like I thought he was an amazing athlete, but I always found mm. him quite a boring person. Um, and it's probably just his public persona. I'm, I've never met the guy, so I can't judge. So I wasn't that interested in watching it, but I didn't really enjoy the documentary because that fact of you want the challenge because it's the, the moment to, to express the true self at its highest level. 
you know, and ultimately that's how he saw a challenge, is that I want to go into the hardest challenge because this is a chance to express myself. And, you know, and that's ultimately flow state, isn't it? You know, and it's this yeah. whole idea of when you can get to a place where you know how to manage resilience, you actually seek resilience because it is a deeper, higher state, isn't it? Yeah. Not just that, you seek adversity. Mm. You know, that's one of the beautiful things is, you know, as you become more resilient, you, you pick up more meaningful challenges mm. and they make you more resilient again. And this is part of what we were saying earlier is, is, you know, that just makes you a more stronger, better connected person. Whereas someone who's not on the resilience journey has a negative reinforcing cycle. Mm. You know, they're avoiding opportunities to grow. As a consequence, they don't grow. They yeah. become complacent or overcautious or anxious. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, and I had a great example of that. I was speaking to a lady recently who wanted to do the park run, which is like a local run. <laughs> um, but she was so scared about failing, um, she never tried. And, and I just said, well, why don't you look at it as I want to grow? You know, this is a chance for me to grow. And then so she went along, she walked it, and now she's being successful. And it's, you know, it's, it is that approach we bring to it, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. That's the virtuous spiral. And she's come out of that whole experience a whole lot stronger, a lot yeah. more curious. And, and open to more possibility as well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask a question I love asking people like yourself, and I'm in this situation, we're very fortunate that people come to us to help guide them, you know, and yeah. through your business and through what you do. I mean, sometimes I think for people like us, people think we've got it all together. So I think it's always really important to show some of our struggles. So maybe what are some of the areas that you have to work on with this stuff and, and your growth and your evolution? Neat question. Yeah. Neat question. You know, I mean, you know, I, I, forgive me for being a little philosophical first, but I think it's really important to understand that resilience is not perfection. Mm. You know, resilience is to be able to handle the gnarly bits of life, not to be perfect. You know, we all make mistakes. And of course, the more of those challenges we talked about just a moment ago become more difficult, your risk of failure increases. Yeah. So... I think that that humanity that, uh, you know, Breen Brown calls it vulnerability. I think it's just a, a willingness to be able to fail in order to grow. That needs to be in your mindset, right? So you can't have a great life unless you're willing to take some knocks. Yeah. So we all take knocks. Uh, you know, I, I'll be honest, uh, you know, it, it's uh, I've had to learn to deal with it, but you know, if, if, if you were to assess me on that sort of social spectrum autism disorder, that social intelligence is very hard for me. Okay. I'll be honest with you, I was clueless, right? I didn't even know how much damage I did in the first okay. 40 years of my life. No, I, I was dialed out. You know, I was super motivated. I was um, wanted to do good things. I was doing good things. But my emotional subtlety, subtleties were terribly blunted. And I had no insight. Okay. And, uh, you know, back when I went off and did an emotional intelligence course in the 90s, it was like someone just opened this huge room in my brain that I completely <laughs> ignored. <laughs> well, it's, no, like seeing really, a color, it's like seeing a color you've never seen before, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. It, it was so exciting and so bewildering. And I guess, you know, that was an interesting journey. I, I And I'm lucky to have a very supportive family and, you know, we can laugh about these things now, and I've learned the skills by being really deliberate about practicing. 
Uh, but yeah, you know, and I look back at at uh, at the past, and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, that's that's embarrassing. So I have to stay alert to that, right? And and I just have to be aware if if I am under too much pressure, you go default. The ways I will show distress is by kind of hazing out to other people. Okay. Yeah, so I've got to be really, really alert. So even though you've developed this in your life, it's still one of those areas where you have to be a bit more conscious because you can go back. 100%. Okay, good. And the day you become arrogant is the day you're going to make a really bad mistake. Yeah, totally. And stakes are higher now. You know, you've got a team and you've got leadership issues and kids you can mess up, right? Mm. So you really, uh, you have to stay alert to your vulnerabilities. Mm. So there was one one challenge. Um and I guess, uh, you know, another piece, I'm not a natural business person, right? I mean, my, my wife is a natural business person. She understands money. Yeah. Uh, I'm passionate. I love what I do. You know, yeah. I, I care about it. I love the science. And when I see someone who comes and says, hey, I've lost 18K since I met you last year or, you know, I'm sleeping again, uh, I'm fired up by that much more than making money. Yeah. So, I, you know, if you were a, an accountant, you would have found my journey very hazardous. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you understand that one, right? Well, I think uh, you're lucky to have your wife. You know, it's, it's always my wife and I run a business and we're very lucky because our skills are so different, but it works well as a team. And sometimes you need that, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that was always difficult. You know, I always wanted to do things that I couldn't really afford. Hey, um, if people want to follow you or want to work with you, where do they go? How do they get in contact with you? And uh, just anything you want to plug while you're here. <laughs> well, you know, we put the website up as a place where we share a lot of the ideas and a lot of that stuff is free. So we really encourage people to look at that. I do some stuff on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, as I said in the beginning, this is a movement. Uh, I think more and more people will be doing it in more and more different ways. I think we're only just the very beginning of this really exciting journey. And, you know, it's maybe one thing I didn't uh, say. If you want to be happy, if you want to be fulfilled, to do something good for another human being is the fastest way to result. Mm. So, you know, when I look at the people who do support us around the world, uh, you know, the teams we use, that joy of serving people and seeing people improve is huge. So, I, you know, I encourage people, you know, even if you don't make this your business, find a way to share these concepts. You never know when you could change a life yeah, or really redirect do. a young person to, to a much better existence. Yeah, that's so true. It's funny, I, I, just as you said that, I, I coached, I, I'm coaching a guy who's, who wants to get the police force. And, and he didn't feel he was progressing. And yesterday I took him for a run and he took a massive amount of time off and, and broke the barriers that he didn't think was possible. And uh, it was awesome. He was so proud of himself. But as you say, like for me, even speaking about now, just, you know, it brings so much inner joy, doesn't it? You know, like helping people grow is such a powerful thing to do in life, isn't it? It is. At the end of the day, that's, that's the mission. Yeah, totally. It is, isn't it? Yeah. No, because just serving yourself is kind of a diminishing circle, isn't it? Yeah. It doesn't really go anywhere. Hey, thank you so much for your time. Um, the website is resilienceeye.com and it's the Resilience Institute. Uh, if you want to go check it out, it's, it's all there and um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. Keep doing what you're doing and hopefully maybe we'll get you again on you. the show in the future. True pleasure to meet. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you. 
there we go. So, so I hope you got a lot out of that. And I'll put the link to his website in the show notes. And uh, that's all good as well. And also, if you want to get Dr. Hellerman's book, um, I'm going to say, outside, you can get it on Amazon. Yep. Yep. So you can actually go to Amazon.com and get it there. And it's probably the easiest way for a most international audience. And the book is called Never... Uh, ever give up and it's got a question mark in there as well just to kind of really throw it at you and uh, I really enjoyed it did you read it? yeah yeah, absolutely yeah I really enjoyed it okay uh, Jumbo what's we got next who's up? well firstly I've got whether this is correct or not Jared Miller if this is correct last week his swim time was 35 hours and 41 minutes (laughs) whoa would that be a record on the show? Oh, absolutely. Now, if you haven't got a public profile in Training Peaks, I can't go and verify whether that's correct or not. Strava, you mean? Strava, sorry. Yep. Uh, so what was it, 35 hours? 35 hours and 41 minutes. If he did do that, he must have done like a bloody channel crossing or something like that. That's five impressive. hours a day. Yeah. <sighs> so, Bevan, give me a number between 1 and 100. I'm going to say 97. 97. Yep. 97th last week on our Strava leaderboard was, oh, he's a regular, Jeff Fedgefar, who did 12 hours and 26 minutes from 16 activities, swam 153, biked 6 hours and 58 minutes, and ran 3 hours and 34 minutes. So if you want to get in the top 100 and get the odd mention on here, you kind of need to be 12 hours or above. The old Volker the Vascular Viking Voigt was uh, 12 hours 36 up there in 95th place. But uh, yeah, if you want to join our Strava group, we want to get up over a thousand people, uh, just go on to Strava, uh, join up if you're not already on there. Basically all your data, if you, wear, if you wear a watch or Garmin, you can just get that feeding back in. You don't need to do any work whatsoever once you've signed up, it'll just import straight away and it's just a bit of fun to go and look at what other people are doing. If I line myself up against Jeff Fedgefar the last couple of weeks, I've been averaging three rides a week for average distance of 90. One case per week. That's not that much. Uh, Jeff, oh, per week. I thought you were going to say per ride. Like, no, that's a lot. Jeff's been averaging three hundred five rides per week. Three hundred forty eight k's. I think he might be part of that every man jack though. And they had a training camp recently. So uh-huh. uh, in twenty nineteen, Jeff rode three thousand forty eight kilometers. Beats my nineteen hundred forty two. Uh, and just in general, he had a lot more training than me. <laughs> <laughs> when are your camp? When, when's your camp coming up? Uh, we're going to Kona in the end of May. And then you got France when? Uh, the France is end of July. Still got a couple of spaces open on France. If you want to come and experience the Pyrenees, it is going to be amazing. Amazing. But I still beat Jeff on the biggest ride. Uh, his longest ride ever is 209.9 kilometres, and mine's 302.9. However, In your face, Jeff. However, he has got a bigger climb than me. Uh, his highest climb he's, he's ever got a bigger done climb than you, is 1,709 metres. That's a big mother climb wherever you did that. Uh, mine highest is 1,610. That's elevation gain. Okay, Jombo. Uh, questions, questions and answers. answers. Now, we've got a link sent through about a, a potential doping case that may implement someone who raced at Kona. So the article was talking about how basically 21 athletes have been kind of been in suspicion of being a part of an international drug ring following a sea feed raid. So uh, it's basically looks like most of it's about the Nordic, Nordic skiing team, mm. but there could be a deeper level to it. Well, yeah, when they, when they mention the places that the blood has gone, when they mention Hawaii, it's kind of, don't think there's that many Nordic training facilities in Hawaii, no. Nordic uh, skiing, so this could implicate a triathlete. Who that's going to be, God knows. And and yeah, 
<laughs> we can speculate all we want, but well, it's uh, best not to. It's best not effects, to. Yeah. But uh, look, doping's a part of our sport. But often with these things, when they seem to come out and come out, you're going right. It's going to be a champion athlete or whatever, and it often ends up being like a second or third tier athlete. Yeah. And I think one of the things that protects triathlon is the lack of money. Uh, you kind of wonder how the hell pros are going to actually afford to do doping properly. Yeah, but uh, it's not entirely true because I remember this is about five years ago when we were in Kona and I asked a pro who had retired what he was earning in his career and he was earning about 400000 a year. Mm. Now, what does it cost to dope? I, I don't know, but I would say that would have been a pretty good pro. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a good pro. Yeah, yep, so I think at, at the top level, I totally agree, it's affordable to do whatever it costs, but if you're a second or third tier level, jeez, uh, you're just trying to get by and actually then to add in doping into the mix. Um, it's a funny one, but isn't it? Because you kind of like borrow the credit card to pay up to <laughs> yeah. then, you know what I mean like yeah. you know like now this is what John and I will never think about but you know if you can get that initial hit of money to get the dope that then gets a better income bracket mm. it's um, it's an interesting situation uh, Skip Slade just he'd been talking about what's been happening with the Kona slots and he said I heard what was said on the previous episode regarding the Kona slots or the legacy slots I also qualified for the legacy in the past year I was slow to apply maybe a few days behind and so my email came back guaranteeing me a slot for 2022 not 2021 like the guy who shared his info with you just goes to show that the list is getting longer and longer I assume that the only way I move up the list as if my uh, others fall off the list but not satisfying the requirements I'm a bit worried about my Ironman race requirement this year because I have Arizona and my schedule in November if something unforeseen happens and I don't finish the race I'm essentially screwed because it's the end of the season um, and, and I was kind of curious so I went back to him I said so do you just have to enter a race or do you actually have to complete the race because this is the thing he could turn up let's say he breaks his leg in the race touch what he doesn't but let's say he breaks the leg in the race doesn't complete the race end of the season he's kind of screwed hmm. and, and so what happens to his legacy slot there good question I don't know the answer my understanding and I might be totally wrong was you needed to enter a race no so I went to him and then so he said the email from the legacy from Ironman legacy does say complete a full iron distance race in 2019 then it lists the validation requirements for 2021 2020 and 2022 which are what John read off in the previous podcast qualifying for Kona this way is sort of a mist of my head I've been in the pursuit of Kona by racing Ironman fools for 10 years before I heard about John's wise approach of following the three-year plan, I did my first Ironman. Uh, I didn't envision myself qualifying this way. I always saw myself on the podium and getting the slot. I came close, missing it by one place once and missing by three places twice. My age group has only one slot, exceptional except in the regional championships. I received many rewarding experiences and achieved other goals in the process of training and racing. But when the underlying goal that drives me just disappears, the motivation needs to adjust and realign. Many athletes will be overjoyed to get 12 finishes and qualify for legacy. I have an athlete who doing nine in the next two years in order to qualify for legacy because he knows it's pretty much the only way in. For me, legacy was a disappointment in some ways I still embraced the opportunity as it seems the only realistic avenue to Kona still it wasn't part of my vision so there was kind of his thing about it but yeah so you actually have to complete the race mm, that does make it tricky especially if you are like he, he's saying here he's doing Arizona it's kind of the last race of the season well you also put it in a, in a New Zealand context if you can't complete Ironman New Zealand you've got to fork out a lot of money to go somewhere to do to do a race at least you got the rest of the year, but yeah, true, yeah, but yeah, uh, and yeah. So the legacy is not perfect. No, they're never going to have a perfect system. I, I 
don't like the approach where people try to slam races in in short periods. For me, the legacy is that person like Skip who's been chipping away for 10 years and they're eventually going to get there rather than um, slamming it in three in three years. Now, those are the rules. As I always say, you play by the rules. If you can if you can do that, then that's fine. You get in there. I don't disrespect it. I just think the rules maybe. I'd like to see them change a little bit, but it's never going to be perfect. But even the person like the person who's trying to get there in two years, so this person isn't really going to get there for four or five years. True. And you know, so you're still going to be spending a lot of time in the sport. That's true. You know, and maybe that's a maybe that's a good thing. Maybe no, yeah. You know, but if you're done twelve, realistically, it's going to be fifteen by the time you get there. If they if they start expanding, you think. Well, he's got to wait a couple of. He's got to wait till twenty twenty two. So yeah, that's you know another two seasons of racing, another Ironman a year. So it's not yeah, it's getting up towards fifteen. Oh, do you mean yeah, okay? By the time you actually get there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, like it isn't. You're not you're not doing two years and going to Kona the next year. Yeah. That's far from likely nowadays. So. But uh, hey, and as more people do that, on the positive side, you know, getting a bit negative there. On the positive side. This does open a door for people to get to Kona that would have never have got there before. Oh, and, and so. it's actually and it, the rewarding escapes of the world. Mm. And as he says, it, ultimately that's not how he wanted to do it, but mm. life's turned out this way, and, and he deserves to have that Kona experience because he's been a, an important part of that world. So, okay, John, let's talk about our patrons. Bradley, the Speedo Odom. We've got uh, Paul, the Hack Calder, and Philip Black Jacket Kilkolf. Mm, good luck with that one, John. I think I've joined two words together there. I'm going to go. Kill, kill, kill coat. No, no, it's kill coat. Then there's a that afterwards. That's why I got it wrong. Oh. That black jacket. <laughs> Phil, kill coat. <laughs> what does Apple say? Let's see. Is it going to give it to me? No. Uh, I get John. Sponsors. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And if you want to become a patron, go to me. Just go on our front page. You'll see the become a patron. Click on that. Go through the process. You can get a prize or get a gift depending on what level you patronage is at. Uh, you can also go in the draw to win a trip with the boys to Kona next year. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Jonbo, if you want to get some coaching from Coach John Newsom, go to coachjohnnewsom.com. Check out my podcast, Bevan James I'll Show. And uh, any content like Age Group of the Week, call websites or feedback, just send it to iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, you goss. Well, just a bit of a spoiler, we're going to be announcing something in the next uh, week or two about a camp somewhere in the world, which a lot of people have a bucket list uh, oh. to go and do. You really are, just, why don't we just tell them? <laughs> Cause, so, cause, well, no, you've got to join the dots together, if, okay. you, if you know what and, I'm talking about. maybe we've done this camp before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and if you know what we're talking about, uh, pop me an email and go on the list, I won't, I'll have the information sorted in the next couple of weeks, but it's going to be in twenty. 21 not not uh no 2020 sorry not 21 so next year i might make, might make my comeback yeah. so if you're keen and you know what i'm talking about we'll f- announce it officially in the next couple if of you weeks you haven't figured it out you're even new to the show or <laughs> sharpen up uh what's my gossip evan uh yesterday i was uh, organizing the regional primary schools duathlon champs which is ages 10 to sort of about 13. So wait a second, you said you got a 1,000 kids, and then you said, we were talking before the show, and then you said at the secondary schools you get 100. Yeah, we do. Why is that? Uh, Once you get to secondary schools, teaching changes you. They don't want you out of the class quite as much, and there's not, I don't know, there's just not that prestige, whereas at primary school they all have their school duathlon, and the top three get to go through to Canterbury Champs. Uh, and so it's quite a prestige thing to, to go and do. It's a cool event. It's got momentum. Uh, and 
when you go to secondary school, there's no school triathlon, there's no prestige, and there's not many teachers that are motivated to take kids out of class. You know and what do you, it. Should, you should think about doing? Is you should really promote a school duathlon within schools. Because you think about it, mm-hmm. <clears throat> a duathlon at school is a really easy thing to do. You could put it on at lunchtime and you could actually make it a cool school event because mm-hmm. you could, you know, run around the field mm-hmm. and then they go on the bike, run right around the laps, you know, around the, the block a couple of times and then back on the field and you make it a big lunchtime activity. So it's a really fun kind of school mm. engaging experience, which is pretty easy to manage. Yeah, no, it's not a, not a bad idea. Uh, what I would say is there's not a lot of motivation from teachers to be doing anything else from, from my experience. We've, we've tried to do a, a triathlon program within PE classes uh, where we come along and do everything, and even that goes in the too hard basket. Really? Uh, so Why? it's just changing routine of what the teachers do on a day-to-day basis. Um, oh. And... and it's not being. Not, I'm not being nasty to teachers or anything like that. You just that. said teachers suck. <laughs> That's just they've got their routines, they've got all their templates yeah. in place, and they're working through that. And they've probably got other criteria they've got to be meeting. And this just throws something else into the mix. Uh, so, and there's not a lot of drive from students once they get to high school to be doing try and stuff. Unfortunately, they've got to be. There's that, there's that motivated few. So anyway, that's what I was doing yesterday, and this later this week we've got the Sea to Sky Challenge, which I'm looking forward to organising. It's the, you know, probably the coolest event of the season, but different. And we've got some good big Kahuna's racing, which is going to be fun. Training front, went to a park run at the weekend. God, park runs are bloody brilliant for our sport and for just going and spanking out a 5k. And What'd you just, do? Uh, it's seventeen oh seventeen eleven, which was uh, it's a little, right. it's a little bit short. Uh, well, the race was short. Uh, yeah, it's uh, all, uh, everybody. We get these funny GPS readings because you run through the trees a bit. Yeah. Um, but I always get it at about four point nine ish k. Some people get it closer to five. But you go, oh, it's only hundred meters, and that's fine. But hundred meters is twenty seconds. Sort yeah. Of. yeah. Uh, so it was a bit slower than I anticipated. But uh, I'm going to go back this week and uh, spank it out of the park because the week after that, I'm doing a 15K race. Do you win it? Uh, no, I got third, but it varies a lot from week to week. You know, yeah. I got third this week. Other weeks, I would have been 10th. Um, that's not fast enough to win it, but I need to get under that 17 minutes. Mm. That was what, 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 you remember a few years ago when you were going to have a blocker period where you are going to do a fast 5K? Yep. You know, get down towards 16 minutes. Still, 16 was the goal, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, and I don't think that's uh, that is a... That's a real strong reach goal, but I don't think it's impossible. Uh, Do you think you're still up to it now? Do you think you could sort it now? If I had a full year of running and really just focusing on running, I don't know if I could do it, but I could get down to a low 16. I'm pretty confident I could do that. Mm-hmm. But that's you know that's proper run training where you're doing some proper speed work, proper intervals, yep. not sort of try-based intervals. So that was, uh, that was my week, and this week is all about getting ready for Sea to Sky. Bevan, what's happening with you? How was partying on Saturday night? Oh, mate. Oh, we ripped it up large. Yeah? Oh, yeah. So Home, was, home by 10.30? Porno did a naked run down the strip. Yeah? yeah. Oh, yeah. Porno was all out. Uh, no, it was in bed by 12. Yeah? Bed by 12. The biggest mistake we made. So we went out for dinner. We had a good, good Mexico or Mexico. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it is. Went there. It was a good place for feed. Um, hot chicken. Mm-hmm. I've learned to like spicy. Yeah, yeah, I've learned it because traditionally I wasn't really into my spicy, and, and I ate the chicken. I was like, "That's not too bad." It was, like, "Oh my god, it's so so spicy!" And I was like, oh, "It's not that bad." So that was good. I had a bit of gossip with all the crew. And then we went to Fat Eddie's. You been to Fat Eddie's? No, no. I know where it is, but yeah, I'm not. It's actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But f- we, <laughs> we never, so we turn up, go to the bar, grab a drink, 
And they basically have a dance floor, and then behind the dance floor, they kind of have these booths. And we walk around the corner, and there's a there's a booth that's empty. There is a couple of glasses that some alcohol on it, but no one's there. Yeah. So what do we do? We go sit in the booth, and then someone goes, oh, we were here. <laughs> and we're like, see you later, alligator. <laughs> you snooze. You stood your ground. We stood our ground. Oh. Poor bugger, and he, and he stood beside us. So he's like, I think it's a bit annoyed with us. But you leave. You look empty. And it was, the glass is only a little bit full. So, But that was almost our mistake. Because we didn't dance, mm. you know. Sat down here with a chinwag. Sat down here with a and it was good having a chinwag. But we did chinwag at dinner. We needed to get up and dance, and, mm. and then Joe, for some reason, heard her back. Don't know how she did it, but then about eleven thirty, she was like, "Babe, my back's really bad. We need to go home." So we left. So so no dancing. <laughs> so it was dinner on a chinwag after yeah, dinner, and, and it was a good night. But yes. it wasn't. It wasn't. You got to dance, mm. especially if you're a non-drinker. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a non-drinker, you what, what did you coax at your back? Don't know, don't know. Hmm. It's not cheap going out, but <laughs> it's not cheap. No, 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 no we probably spent, we actually it wasn't that much. We probably spent 150 bucks on the night. But yeah. um, if you drink, oh my God, mm-hmm. if you drink alcohol in town, <laughs> yeah. you'd be dropping four or five hundred bucks, wouldn't you? If you couldn't properly pissed. Yeah. You know? When was the last time you went to shout. town and drink? Oh, we discussed this last week. It hasn't been any time soon. <laughs> but I reckon, because you're probably dropping, what, 10, 15 bucks a drink? Easy. Easy. Mm. And then you do rounds. Yeah. <gasps> and then you're trying to impress some girl. You buy her and her friends for drinks. Did you buy girls drinks? Not a group of them. <laughs> I don't think I ever bought girls drinks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and other than that, John, um, I went and did all my spider webs around the, my, my spouse. <laughs> That's exciting news <laughs> for us. That's exciting news. I bought a sp- do you get spider webs? No, not too bad. The problem in our house is we've got black spouting. Mm-hmm. So they really show up. So mm. I went and got some spiderweed spray. Mm. What more way? Nice. So you, as your next few weeks, you'll be able to see if they've come back. Oh, we'll check it out. Yeah, we have to see that. And then other than that, um, this week, oh, I'm going to the Warriors. Oh, God, I hope they pick up their bloody game. No, I was Came out on fire the first week and then were just useless. It's because I watched them. I watched them on Saturday night. It was that Sunday, Sunday night. Yeah, I sat up and watched it as well. I was like, what? I Every know. time I watch you guys, you're losing. Well, you're not allowed watch. to watch them anymore then. Okay. <laughs> Jeepers. Come on, where's your commitment? Yeah. I thought this year was going to be our year. Joe got me my tickets for my wedding anniversary. Yeah. Oh, my mate Jeff's lost his teeth. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway, guess what? What? Iron Russ. I'm in Don't Train Hard. Train Smart. Kia, Kia Kaha. Kaha.